You're listening to the Small Business Talk podcast with Kathy Smith. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk, episode 116. Today we have Karen Hillen from My HR Partner, and our topic today is how to employ the right person for your business. So, welcome, Karen. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Um, really appreciate it. Okay, so I guess we need to start with are we actually ready to have an employee before we know whether we want the right person or not? Yeah, look, I think that's a really good question and it's a great place to start because sometimes you think that you're ready to employ somebody, but there might be some other options you can look at to start with. And I suppose really I shouldn't say this, but sometimes getting an employee won't be the first step that you want to take. So really you might want to look at what you can outsource first. And again, it's probably not totally HR related, but I think it's really relevant to think, well, maybe I don't need an employee right this minute. Maybe I need to outsource my bookkeeping first, or maybe I need to outsource some admin to somebody first before you start thinking about employing, because it is a big step and there are lots of things that you need to consider. So I think if you really have a good look at all of the duties that you're doing and what you want that employee to do, sometimes you'll find that it's not an employee you need straight up. But of course, if it is, again, I think it's a really good idea to write down all of the duties that you do in your business. And if this is going to be your first employee, obviously that is going to be everything in the business. And then start thinking about what you would want that employee to do. Yes, that was my first mistake when I had my very first employee. I wanted them to replace me. I wanted them to do absolutely everything I did. So we're still friends today and she's a lovely lady, but the the job just didn't work out for either of us because, of course, you can't get a web designer and a social media person and a bookkeeper and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, all in one person unless you're the business owner. And then when you're the business owner, that's what you do. You own the business. You don't work for somebody else. So I definitely made all of those mistakes on my first round and I think a lot of other business owners are the same. Okay, so we've done our task list. We've looked at, okay, we've got a manageable amount for them to do. We've decided we're going to outsource a couple of things because that's not part of what we want the employee to do. So now we're thinking of bringing in our first part-time or casual employee. So what's the difference between part-time and casual and can we have both or neither or where does that sort of fit? That is a great question and I think something that sometimes people don't really think too much about and sometimes they will actually put the wrong type of person on. So a lot of the time people will say to me, I'm going to put a casual on first because I can get rid of them when I want to. If things don't work out, it's easier to move them on. You know, lots of different reasons and some of the reasons will be valid and some may not be so valid. So if you're a business, you have no idea how many hours you're going to need that person. Say you decide it's an admin person and you you think, okay, I've got this list of admin duties I want the person to do. I'm really organized. I've got a position description. I know what I want them to do. 
But if you don't know how long it's going to take them, casual can be a great way to start with because it might be ad hoc. It could be seasonal. It could be that you're just having a really busy period and once you get that backlog of admin work done, you may not have so much for someone to do. So the differences, a casual employee doesn't have a guarantee of hours, days, number of hours, or any guarantee of ongoing work. So if you think that that fits what you want in an employee, I would recommend going with a casual employee. Now, the thing with a casual employee, they do get a 25% loading on what the permanent rate would be. And that's because it compensates them for things like the fact that they don't get annual leave or public holidays or sick leave, all of those leave entitlements that a permanent employee would get. There's also been a few new amendments to the Fair Work Act in relation to casuals. So you need to be aware of those sorts of things as well down the track. So it very much is about unpredictable hours, unpredictable number of days, or even how long it's going to go on for. But if you know very, very clearly that you need somebody to work four hours a day every day, Monday to Friday, and that's not going to change too much, it does make sense to put somebody on straight away as a permanent employee. So in that example of 20 hours a week, it would be a permanent part-time person. Now, if they're employed as a permanent, they get leave, annual leave, sick leave, public holidays, all of the leave entitlements that a permanent employee gets, but they would get it on a pro-rata basis based on the hours and the days that they work. The big difference I always find too is a permanent employee has an obligation to turn up to work when you expect them to. A casual doesn't. So a casual could be a good way to employ people because you're not really sure of the type of you know, the type of hours and days that you can have for them. But on the flip side, a casual doesn't have any obligation to turn up either. So a casual could say at the last minute, oh, sorry, I can't come in today. And there's not a lot you can do about it because that's the nature of casual work. A permanent part-time or a permanent full-time person needs to turn up when their contracted hours are scheduled. So that can be a big difference. So I think if you know that the hours are going to be very regular and it's going to be ongoing right from the beginning, my opinion is that it makes sense to put them on as a permanent employee. They feel like they're more connected, they've got more security and you have that security as well because you know that that person has to turn up for work on those days that you've contracted them for in their employment contract. Okay, so there's a few things we need to unpack there. So first of all, Fair Work is Fair Work Australia. So in your country, you'll have a similar kind of body and just check about the loadings in your country as well because that's the 25% is Australia. We're not saying that's worldwide. So just wherever you are, just make sure you check your local and state obligations for your casuals and your permanent part-time. So if you've got somebody who you've started off as a casual and now the jobs become more regulated, you know that you're going to be now moving into that 20 hours a week or whatever time frame it is, and you've offered that person to go part-time. One, is that the way to do it? And two, what if they don't want to? Another great question. So if you offer it to an employee and they don't want to take it up, probably a couple of things that you can do. If you really do need somebody who can commit to that part-time role, 
you could say to them, well, that's what I need in my business. So if you can't commit to it, I'm going to have to recruit a permanent part-time or full-time person. And when I'm able to do that, it's likely that the casual hours I will need you for will be significantly less or possibly even non-existent. So that's if it's really hard and fast and you need a permanent employee. If you're happy to keep them on as a casual and pay the casual loading, that's okay too. There are lots of casual employees that are very loyal to the business, very reliable. They will turn up when they say they are. So I shouldn't generalise and say casuals aren't going to turn up when you want them to, but they do actually have the right to not turn up at any time. So there's probably, yeah, getting back to the question, there's two things you can do. You can either agree and say, okay, well, I'm happy to keep you on as a casual, but it's fairly regular work that I'm going to expect you to do. I'd get that in writing because with some amendments, and and again, we're talking Australia here, um, amendments to the Fair Work Act, there are some obligations in relation to casuals being able to convert to permanent after a period of time. So as long as you document all of that and you have the information there to say that you have offered that and the employee didn't want to take it up, then that's okay. But it has to suit the business. And if you're happy to continue with the arrangement that you've had, paying that person as a casual employee because they're a great employee, but they like the casual loading, you can make that decision and keep them on in that way. Or if it does get to the point where you feel like you do need a bit more permanency around it, I'd be upfront and honest and say to them, I really do need more of a commitment from somebody so I can rely on those outcomes hours getting done when I need them. Perfect. So how many hours do you need to give a part-time person? That will depend on the award that the person is employed under. It's usually three hours in a lot of awards, but that can vary. It can be as little as three hours, depending on what you need. Another thing to remember too, once somebody works more than five hours, usually they're also entitled to an unpaid lunch break. So three hours, is that three hours a week or is that three hours a shift or where does that three hours fit into? three hours a shift, which could be three hours a week if that's the only shift you need somebody to work. There are some awards that have a lesser amount, but there are usually some conditions around that in relation to school-aged employees, for instance, may be able to work, say, a two-hour shift in certain circumstances. But it's usually three, sometimes four. And like I said, again, we're talking in Australia, but a lot of the time will be written in the award in relation to minimum hours. Okay, so you could have a part-time person that only comes in for one shift a week if that was what you needed them for. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing to remember too is that, as I said earlier, they get leave. And, and one of those things to remember is they also get public holidays. So for instance, if you were to employ somebody and they were only going to work three or four hours on one day a week, just keep in mind if that's a Monday, that's where the majority of public holidays fall. So they would be entitled to have that public holiday off pay every time a public holiday falls on that day of the week. So I'm not saying don't employ part-timers on a Monday, but it's just something to, to keep um, in mind when you are looking at what you're wanting that person to do and the entitlements that they will get. So in that situation, it may be better to have a casual rather than a permanent part-time employee, because if they were casual and it was a public holiday, one, you wouldn't have to pay the public holiday, but you could then also expect them to, to come in on a different day if that was suitable for both of you. 
that is exactly what you can do with a casual because you don't have to pay them a public holiday. You can say, oh, look, Monday's a public holiday. Can you work on Wednesday instead or Tuesday or whatever other day? Whereas a permanent employee, you would need to pay them for the public holiday. And if you wanted them to come in on another day because you still need the work done, you can get them to come in and work extra hours. Then, again, we're talking in Australia, depending on what award they're employed under, they may actually attract overtime rates for for those extra hours they're working. So it can be quite complicated when you're talking about people working extra hours if they're a part-timer, for instance. So yeah, definitely have a look and see where you need them to work and whether it is more suitable for casual or whether it's more suitable for a permanent part-time. And I guess some of that will also depend on the person that you actually employ as well to to what works for both of you there. Okay, so we've decided that we're going to have our person and we've decided whether they're going to be casual or part-time. What other things should we be looking at when we're starting to recruit, look for this person that's going to fill this new job that we've just made clearly think about all of the things that they're going to need to do their job what type of equipment might they need if you've got somebody who's working in an office things that you might not think of that you you know should be obvious but a lot of the time won't be you'll just be thinking oh that's the cost of an employee they might need a desk they might need a computer and a chair you might need to give them a mobile phone if it's a tradie you may need to give them a vehicle, not all the time, but it might be something that you want to consider if you need them to be on call or something like that. It could be that you need to supply them with uniforms if that's a requirement of the job. So those types of things, I think sometimes you might forget about. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, wow, all those extra things that I've now got to buy. And then also things like insurances. So workers' comp, workers' compensation insurance. Again, we're talking Australia, but it can also be different from state to state. So it's important that you understand what requirements that you have in your state in relation to workers' comp insurance. It's not something that you can decide you want or not. It's compulsory when you employ people. So that's something a lot of the time people don't even consider because they've never employed people before. Why would they know that that's even a thing? So workers' comp, the cost of accruing leave and things like that, if you have got a permanent employee, making sure that you understand that when um, somebody's taking annual leave or a public holiday that that's a cost that you have to pay out to that employee but on that particular day or those hours that they're on leave you're not getting anything back for it but it's an entitlement of them being employed as a permanent employee some other things to consider are you going to give them an employment contract now i'm in hr so i am going to say absolutely you should because it sets out all of the expectations and the conditions so even thinking about the cost of an employment contract the cost of of policies if you need to implement policies for them. The cost of training. When you get somebody in your business, you might need to train them. So that's going to take time. So the first couple of weeks of employing somebody, you might spend just training them to do the job. So you're not going to get much value out of them in those first few weeks while they're learning. So I think taking all of those things into consideration, so putting on an employee could be a cost for that period of time until they learn the job. But again, you might get somebody who's totally qualified that they can hit the ground running and that won't be a consideration. But I think it's really good to just make a list of all of those things that are going to cost you money and also the things of what you need. So thinking, do I need a part-time or a casual or a full-time person? Or maybe I need a contractor. And all of those hidden costs, like I said, in relation to equipment, uniforms and office space, 
vehicles, whatever that might be, equipment that they need to use there for their job. So there's lots to think about and even things like do they need qualifications? Do they need a particular qualification or a skill or a licence? Do you need to do any checks on them like a working with children check or a criminal record check? In a lot of businesses you won't need those types of things but it's important to consider that you might need those things. For instance, if you're working in an environment where you're going to be dealing with children, your employee most likely will need a working with children check. So if you're a a training organisation, for instance, considering all those things as well and and really getting a good idea of what those things might cost or what type of qualifications or skills that person will need to to bring with them to the job. Okay, so there's quite a, a bit there you've gone through. So I guess the first thing is we're talking about having the employee come to your premises or if you work from home to having them come to your home. So what about if they're actually working from their home? Do you need to supply them with the computer, the desk, the equipment? And the next question after that is what's the difference between a employee and a contractor? So if we go with the first one, if they're working from home, do you need to supply the equipment? Most likely, yes. But they're the things that you need to, I suppose, consider up front. So if you do have somebody working from home and they already have their own computer, they already have their own internet, it may be something that you state is a requirement of the job. So you might say this is a work from home job, but the person does need to have their own reliable internet, computer, phone, whatever else they might need. Or you might say all of that supplied. So I think it really is, again, thinking about the cost, considering what you think they need to do the job and factoring that in when you're looking for the person and when you're making that offer to them as well. It's also really important to to consider that people that are working from home are safe as well. So doing like a working from home checklist. So, you know, they can send you some photos of their workspace so you can feel comfortable that they have a well set up desk and computer if that's the type of work they're doing. So you're covering your risk in relation to making sure that they don't lodge some sort of workers comp claim down the track because they've been sitting slouched over in the lounge on their laptop for instance lots and lots and lots of things to think about and and consider in relation to not only getting the best out of them but making sure you're covering all of the risks that might be involved with having somebody work from home okay so then what's the difference between having an employee and a contractor if they are working from home it's a very complicated complex area. I will give you some basics, but a lot of the time it will depend on each individual circumstance and there are lots of factors to take into consideration. So sometimes people will think there's a thing called the 80-20 rule where if somebody's doing more than 80% of their work for you, they're probably not a contractor, they probably should be an employee, but it's it can be a lot more than that. Just because somebody has an ABN doesn't make them automatically a contractor. And again, we're talking Australia, ABN is an Australian business number and you get that when when you have your own business, you could be a sole trader or lots of other different structures. Usually some of the things to consider are if you have somebody that's working from home, for instance, and they're doing... They're posting social media for you and you've got an agreement where they do 10 hours of work a week. You don't really care when they do it because, you know, with social media, they can schedule things in advance or really they're in charge of their own work and organising when they do it. That could be a contractor arrangement where you're not giving them a lot of direction. They're responsible for their own direction. They're responsible for doing their own work and 
and they've got a lot of control over how they do those things. But it can get very complicated. So another thing could be if you provide all of the equipment and you give them a lot of direction. So you say, I need you to be here at 7am. I need you to work from 7 till 12 and here's a list of things I need you to do and I'll be checking to make sure that you get all those things done. Probably more likely to be an employee than a contractor because there's a lot more direction in the work that's getting done and you're also providing all of the equipment. But again, there can be lots of different combinations of those things for an employee or a contractor. So yeah, there's no real easy answer to whether somebody will be an employee or a contractor. The Australian Taxation Office have a tool on their website where you can answer a series of questions and that will give you some information about whether the tax office considers somebody an employee or a contractor. That's from a tax point of view their work might look at something different. So it can be quite complicated. But I think the thing is, another thing to think of too, is if you're giving somebody some work to do and they have control over when and how they do it, they could be considered a contractor. So best to get some advice on that if you're not really sure and it's not very clear cut to which way to go. And like we say, depending on your local legislation, there may not be an issue or there may be a much bigger issue than we have here in Australia. So just make sure that you do cover yourself there. And get advice from the right people. Don't ask the question in a Facebook group. (laughs) (laughs) Then you'll get some good opinions, but you really do need to ask the expert. Get some advice off your accountant or get some advice off a HR consultant or your business lawyer. Get some advice where you can feel confident that you're getting the right answers. Yes, Dr. Google will always make your hypothesis correct. So you you can change the data around it to make it say what you need to say. So like Karen says, make sure you do get some advice from a recognized expert, not just Dr. Google or a keyboard warrior behind Facebook. All right. So we've decided that we definitely are going to have an employee. We've worked out the structure of what they're going to do. We've worked out that they have set tasks and set hours, and we've got that all sorted. We're thinking about our insurances. So apart from workers' comp, should we be looking at some sort of insurance to protect the business if the employee does something wrong or where should we be going there? Well, I think that is an important consideration. So depending on what type of business it is and what sort of services or products you provide, you probably should be looking at things like public liability insurance or professional indemnity insurance, depending on what your business does. That would be something that I'd be talking to an insurance broker about just so you make sure that you do have the appropriate cover. But I think it is a good idea, me being in HR, if I was to employ another HR advisor, I'd be wanting to know that I I was covered with professional indemnity insurance. So if that person did give wrong advice, that we would be covered if somebody was to sue us. So I think it's a similar sort of thing, depending on what your business is and what it does, just check what insurances you should have in place to make sure you are covering the risk. Great advice once again. And yeah, check with the right kind of expert. Okay, so if the job does entail the fact that you might need, so if you're a trader, you might need a forklift license or you might need a driver's license, things like that. Is the employer responsible for paying for that or is the employee responsible for having that as part of your job? 
That can depend on really what the business requires. So I've worked in aged care, for instance, you need a criminal record check and you have to update them regularly depending on what the, the business requires. Now, some businesses will say that the employee is responsible for that and they can claim that at tax time as an expense for doing their job. Other businesses will be very happy to pay those costs because they feel it is a cost of doing business. So a lot of the time it will really come down to what the business decides they want to do. I think from the point of view of the carpenter, for instance, if you've got a qualified carpenter who has their, say, certificate three in carpentry, they would have already been through that process to get that qualification before you as a business employ them, unless they're an apprentice, and then you have different obligations in relation to paying for their training. But I would think in most cases, it's going to be the responsibility of the employee to maintain those skills if it's a requirement of the job. Then again, a business might say they're happy to pay those costs. A lot of the time too, if there's a business where there's an industry, people need to maintain professional development and they have to do a certain number of CPD points for different industries. So competency, professional development points or whatever the CBD stands for, the business may say that they're happy to pay for that. But then again, if it is actually a requirement of that person keeping their license or their qualification, the business may say to that person, well, that's a cost you need to incur because that is for your benefit to keep those qualifications updated rather than a business benefit. No real clear answer for that one. It really can depend on what the business wants to do. And yeah, look, I I think that that needs to be something that's agreed to up front. So everybody's really clear about what that requirement is. And I guess it also depends whether it's a requirement at the beginning of the job or whether it's a case of it may change so that the work may change or legislation may change so that when they were actually employed, they didn't need that particular certificate or that thing. Or now that they've moved into a slightly different role, they do need it. So I guess it's just open communication and making sure that it is clearly defined in their contracts of what is required and what they need to keep up. A lot of different things here that we can keep going on for quite a while. So basically, I think from this is we need to be very clear about what we want and then go and speak to an expert and make sure that we are covered in all of those areas. And if you are unsure about anything, there are quite a lot of free advice. In Australia, you can ring Fair Work. Depending on your business structure, there's also things like Wageline. And no doubt in Canada, America and England, we've also got plenty of other things along those. If they are looking for somebody specifically in HR, what would you suggest that the goods and the bads of how to find a good HR person would be? Absolutely right. There are some great free resources out there. So educate yourself so you can have a really good idea of what's out there. Look up all of those those government-related websites that will give you a lot of great information. Another great place to go to could be your industry association or it could be a business chamber. So any of those types of associations are a great place to start. One of the things I always say to people is if you have an industry association that provides HR services, 
services as part of your membership, that should be your first point of call. And then if, if they don't give the level of support you feel like you need because you need more ongoing support and somebody who you know you can pick up the phone anytime, then there are people like me, HR consultants or with me, for instance, you can work flexibly or you can work on an ongoing basis. So I think it really is like anything. Do your homework, get a feel for what the person does, whether you feel comfortable with them as well. You know, somebody that might work really well with me may not work well with another HR person because they may just not click and not everybody's going to like me as a HR person. So I think it's important just to make sure that you get an understanding of what the person offers and how accessible they are and all of those sorts of things as well. But I think the thing to remember too is there are lots of different options and you don't always need to spend a fortune on signing up to a a long-term subscription because you might just need one question answered. So I think it's a good idea to, again, to get a referral or speak to somebody you know that's in business and ask them what they do for their HR or what they do for their accountant or whatever it might be to make sure that you know that you're going to get the most appropriate support. And I think that's very good advice too, because I know that particularly in Australia, there are a few companies that are out there doing the whole scaremongering thing. So as soon as you get an employer, they're saying, you've got to have a five-year contract. You you won't be able to survive without it, which is absolute rubbish. So yeah, do check your facts and yeah, use what you need. So Karen, if people have resonated with you over this call and they would like to contact you and know more about you, where's the best place to find you? Okay, so I've got a website. It's myhrpartner.com.au. I do only work in Australia because legislation is different in other places. So, but I'm always happy to to have a chat with anybody because I think a lot of the principles of HR are similar wherever you are. But that's my website. And you can also book in for a 10-minute introduction call with me if you just need to get a bit of an idea of, of what even you need. So all of those details are on my website. Perfect. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. And for everybody listening, those lovely little squeaky noises at the background is Karen sitting on a beautiful balcony and you've just got a snapshot of our beautiful Australian birds. So we've got crows. What else has been in the background, Karen? I think there are some rosellas. There's a tree just out in front of me that's got a nest. I think they might be, I think there's some plovers here as well that like swooping people. Yeah, there's a couple of others around. Can't see any cockatoos today, but we usually have a few cockatoos around. But I think the main bird you can hear is some, um, some rosellas. So you'll have to look those up for our non-Australian people. Okay, so at this time, we get I get to turn the tables and ask you some pointy questions. So are you game, Karen? Yes. <laughs> okay. What is the best advice given to you by a mentor? Be honest, be authentic, and just work hard on what you want to achieve. Excellent. What is the biggest help you've received since starting your business? I think just having access to different people with different experience and just really taking in and listening to people that have been in business a long time. My husband's one of those people. He's run a business for a very long time. So it's been really good to to look at the way he runs his business and look at how I want to do things the same or how I might want to do things differently. But yeah, I think just really being open to, to listening to people that have experience to to be able to learn from them. What is the one thing that you have to do every day, your non-negotiable? About the last week, it's been doing a video every day. (laughs) 
So the context behind that is Karen and I are involved in a business networking association and I've been keeping Karen accountable for her doing a live. We had committed to do one every day in April when this was being recorded and we were discussing it on the 2nd or 3rd of April and she hadn't actually started. So since she has started, she's done one every day. So well done, Karen. Thank you. But I think the other non-negotiables is just making sure that I'm looking after my clients every day. So, you know, I have clients that, that work with me on a regular basis. So I think it's just making sure that I'm taking care of them and that that I'm doing all of the things that I need to to, to make sure that I'm providing a reliable service for them. Perfect. What is your favourite business book and why? And this is very HR related. It's called The Ideal Team Player and it's by Patrick Lencioni. And if you haven't read it or you haven't listened to it and you have employees, I highly recommend it. It's not a very long read, but it's it's a great book to, to really make you think about interactions between your employees and how, how you can treat your employees to get the best out of them. Fabulous. We have had other books recommended by Patrick Lenciani, but not that particular one. So we'll add that to our our book recommendation list. And our very last question is, what do you wish you had known when you started your business? That it's hard work. And look, I'm sure I knew that, but I think I probably went in a little bit thinking, because my husband does make it look easy, oh yeah, I can work for myself. This is going to be easy. Flexibility, you know, that's why I want to start my own business. So I think if somebody hadn't said to me, it's not just about flexibility, it's about working hard and the flexibility will come because you've probably worked 50 hours already to have that flexibility. So I think really just that it's not as easy as what you think it might be. And definitely looking from the outside, some business owners do make it look very easy. And the four-hour work week, sorry, guys, not going to happen anytime soon. So I think that's definitely good advice. Well, thank you very much, Karen. Appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge. And if anybody would like to reach out to you, we do have those contacts in the show notes. So please do. So thanks, Karen. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action and SBT community, enjoy your journey.